So good evening, everyone, and welcome to London Dialogues. I am Neil, and uh, here on London Dialogues, we host people who have uh, uh, something pertaining to Indic thoughts and philosophy, and we talk and discuss topic with them. Uh, today, with me, I have uh, Nilesh Nilgant Oat, who is a prolific uh, researcher and author of ancient uh, Indian history. Uh, welcome, Nilesh. Welcome to London. Namaskar. Dialogues. Namaskar, and Namaskar. thank you for thank you for organizing this. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance and talk to you. There's a lot that uh, so this is some a topic of much interest to me, and there's a lot I'm willing to talk to you. But uh, we'll have some forty minutes to one hour today to have a discussion, and uh, towards the end of the discussion, we'll take you a question from the audience. So anyone who wants to ask any question to Nilesh can type that in, and we'll pick those questions towards the end. So before we jump into the topic, uh, Nilesh, uh, let me start with you. Uh, you are a master's in uh, chemical engineering. You did chemical engineering. You went on to do executive MBA. From there to the journey of somebody who's researching ancient history and theology, how how does that happen? How somebody moves from engineering to ancient history? <laughs> okay, no good question. Well, I would say a simple answer is the love of it, but also when you begin uh, the journey in any mm -hmm. field, you don't know whether even you are going to like it. Uh, so uh, I used to have many interests. I mm -hmm. continue to have many interests. Right. And uh, I have dabbled into too many fields, uh, like uh, what they call uh, jack of all, master of none in that, in that fashion. It so happened that this particular area, uh, somehow I ended up uh, making a series of uh, successes or series of inventions, discoveries, uh, revolutionary discoveries, what you, whatever you want to call, call it. And so I, uh, I ended up spending more time on these. Uh, so yep. that's, how, that's how I ended up. And this was definitely one of uh, the areas of my interest. Right, right, right. Interesting. So, uh, and in general, in ancient history and theology, I've done a lot of work on that side. And hmm. uh, then... Right now, you have certain level of authority on the dating of Mahabharata and Ramayana and in general, the historicity of the great epics. So uh, how you came about uh, doing, getting into that process and discovering and getting generally interested in that space? Yeah, again, again, a good question, uh, Neil. Uh, so you mentioned me as an authority today in, in that field. Of some significance, and, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And that is, that is, that is true. However, mm -hmm. I just wanted to mention that authority is the last thing I want to ever pull anywhere. You know, right. For example, saying, okay, you, you accept what I am saying because I'm authority, because that's mm -hmm. the authority fallacy. Uh, so your question is very relevant. How did I begin with that? Uh, see, Professor John uh, Archibald Wheeler, he was a theoretical mm -hmm. physicist and, and a professor to uh, Richard Feynman, whose name is many, you know, many people know. And so he, he explains this like this. If you want to have a blast, you know, the rapture of living. And mm -hmm. when you are on the deathbed, you feel like, okay, uh, I had a good life. Right. And if you want to achieve that, or if you want to know about a specific subject, he says, find the toughest unsolved problem in that discipline and then go solve it. In reality, mm -hmm. you may be successful. In reality, you may not be successful, but you will definitely understand that subject well. So my journey into the histo historical aspect or the chronological right. aspects of Indian civilization and the key events began with one specific uh, astronomy observations, two lines from the Mahabharata text. Right. And uh, very naively, this, this is what I came across 1995 when I was just finishing my master's. Mm -hmm. And when and naively I thought this is something um, you know uh, I'm going to do it uh, solve it over a weekend, right. and then it took me 15 years from 1995 to 2009 just these two verses and a scientific demystification of it, and when that happened it just opened the doors, right? And that's right. usually the nature of uh, revolutionary discoveries, you know, it just suddenly. So opened what are the those discoveries. verses which got you started? So that, that comes from, so Mahabharata has 18 Parvas, and right. this is at just at the beginning of the Mahabharata war. It's mm -hmm. in the Bhishma Parva. And actually, I, because I'm a student of Bhagavad Gita right from my childhood, like my mother started, you know, me with Bhagavad Gita. 
so i was just out of uh, curiosity trying to locate bhagavad gita in the bhishma parva in the mahabharat so mm. i started the first chapter i don't know i didn't know where to look for so i said let me go until i find familiar verses right in the second chapter no bhagavad gita yet bhagavad gita comes like 23rd chapter or yeah. so i came across this verse which goes something like this ya chaisha vistruta rajas trilokke sadhu sammata arundhati taya pesha vasishta prushtata kruta yeah. is a basically vasudev telling dhritarashtra that my dear king this is just one day before the war before the war begins and he says this uh, all uh, i mean famous in the three worlds this revered mm-hmm. arundhati he has she has put her husband vasishta behind or she is walking ahead of vasishta mm-hmm. and the reason this was interesting is astronomically the uh, only four people had even dared look at this reference there are like 130 plus different mahabharata researchers but they right. had uh, shied away from this words because they could not explain it the four people tried to do something with it but they also came to the conclusion that this is astronomically impossible that was their conclusion and i was thinking this is where the shraddha comes in picture so i was thinking why would vasa write something if he wanted to just create some description he could have gotten away with something very simple right uh, and so so that was that was started my journey right so i'll ju- i'll just break the conversation but i have sent you the links that you wanted to share with people okay all right right okay Uh, so your explanation gives me a good segue to jump into topic straight so you talk about your interest in the general history of the indian civilization uh, mm-hmm. there is much contention on whether uh, what part of the theology or our theological spectrum comes into the history and mm-hmm. what part is just considered as a fictional or creative writing which is a part of the cultural heritage that we have mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so uh, how where where does so the word for these two epics are itihasa which uh, mm-hmm. loosely can be translated into history so right. where do we lie on, on that it's history or it's just the creative writing part of cultural heritage right uh, great great question again so traditionally what we are hearing is that whether it's ramayana or mahabharata they are itihasa okay and right. itihasa is definitely more than history but yeah. even what we understand in the modern sense is a history the chronological aspect is part of yeah. itihasa very much yeah. part of itihasa very much part of purana very yeah. much part of all our narratives it may not be emphasized and it may not be the sole purpose of that text but it is yeah. there especially in case of itihasa because simply itihasa means that is how it occurred right okay and of course it is said in a narrative form it is said in a story form so purva vruttam katha yuktam itihasam prachakshate it is it is the previous incidents mm-hmm. told in a uh, narrative form told told in a story form that is what itihas is uh, so how do you i mean great question you ask how do you distinguish or how do we separate it out and that's where the scientific method comes in picture mm-hmm. so you have to have a theory and uh, once you have uh, so once you conceive a theory in your mind then you have to come up the science demands that you have to come up with a generic and universal statement of a theory that's that is a that is a basic demand for example my theory for say mahabharat is that all astronomy descriptions or my theory is and was just for astronomy evidence all astronomy descriptions of the mahabharata text entire mahabharata text are actual factual visual observations of mahabharata types mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is very generic this is very universal i'm not like putting some caveat some condition which says this particular astronomy is not going to be a astronomy observation then then it is not scientific and i'm not saying it appears to be it could be in reality i could be wrong with my theory yeah. Yeah. but i am asserting i'm saying they are actual factual visual observations of the sky the reason is important is because immediately with this statement i am claiming that every single astronomy observations in the mahabharata text is factually testable mm-hmm. it's empirically testable right right so so the, to answer your that second question which part may be the creative writing um well this particular method is simply going to help us and it did help me separate the grains from the chaff mm-hmm. if something doesn't fit i mean so only i'm going to look at the astronomy descriptions yeah. if it doesn't qualify astronomy that may be creative that may not be creative in fact the astronomy could be creative too 
But if it is a creative, the question is, I found close to 300 plus astronomy observations. Are they going to bring me like a jigsaw puzzle and uh, bring it to one date? And uh, what is the probability of that just by coincidence? Right. Uh, so that brings a very interesting point that then what you are saying is that the way a story unfolds, hmm. whether that each part of that story or whole narrative is true or not, hmm. kind of become irrelevant to the establishing the historicity. But we are hmm. relying, relying on the fact that given that all the observations in your case, astronomical, uh, hmm. in other case, maybe people would refer to something like uh, vegetation uh, is what was referred in terms of Ramayana. So given Correct. that all these things are true then there mm. is a possible historicity to the mm. events which are written aligned with them also that's what kind of the argument goes in that case. Uh, that that is correct and this argument uh, you you summarized it very well and that argument is not any different than mm. is uh, a argument for any scientific theory right whether it is a uh, copernicus kepler maxwell einstein uh, richard feynman puts it very well he says science is not about being assuredly confident about certain things. It's just not possible. Right. He says one place, we know a lot more than science can ever prove. Yeah. And when, I, when he says we know a lot more in a subjective conviction sometime too, sometime mm -hmm. even in an objective fashion, but science may not know the causality. So then what is the science? It is about more likely versus less likely. Yeah. yeah. That's what science is, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I did in the Mahabharata or case of Ramayana or even Rugveda dating, uh, it passes uh, all the test of scientific method with flying colors. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, then the, the comes a very different question. I'm actually uh, kind of diverting from the main topic and we'll uh, come back immediately. On that this. is good. Uh, yeah. Uh, while I was preparing for the session and I was talking to people that they're going to host the session, one question came up that uh, it's a theological belief. It's part of mm -hmm. your theological uh, spectrum uh, of uh, Indic people. So in that context, why at all there a need to mm. kind of get a scientific validation on it? Do we Correct. at all need to talk about that? Ah, no, again, again, a wonderful question. And I'm, I'm liking this informal way of doing <laughs> things. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Neil, I would say, and not because I'm seeing you on the screen, uh, mm. I'm praising you because uh, on your face. No. Very rarely I get these questions. Right. These, these are extremely relevant questions. So I said, where is the need to, uh, I mean, it's a theological, it can be theological belief and theological mm -hmm. belief doesn't need uh, any other support. I mean, right. you can just believe it. Uh, Joseph Campbell, the great uh, American, uh, he mm -hmm. says, I don't need faith for I have experience, which is to say, you know, you can take things on the belief, on yeah. a faith base. You can also take things on experience. Mm -hmm. And if you have experience, then you don't need a belief. That is one reason to yeah. actually uh, test these things and see if they're valid by means that one may be interested in. Right. But, yeah. but now, the, when it, if you're talking theology, uh, theology may be even a wrong word. But the, if you think of a Hindu dharma, the dharma tradition right. versus the religious tradition, mm -hmm. whereas the religions might have this uh, pseudo or actual conflict with uh, so-called scientific methods. Right. Uh, uh, the dharma insists on it. I mean, our shared darshanas, you know, mm -hmm. the, the pratyaksha anumana, upamana, shabda, up, anupalabdi, and mm -hmm. arthotpati. I mean, these are like solid pramanas. Say, think of a Bhagavad Puran, which is mm -hmm. dedicated to what? Bhakti? I mean, people wow. will think the highest of a, uh, just a belief is enough, like Bhakti. You know, the whole Bhagavad Puran is uh, uh, emphasizing Bhakti. That, even that Puran, you see Krishna telling to Uddhava. Yeah. Say science expects a triangulation of explanation, prediction, testing. Right. Krishna is demanding a quadrangulation. He says, Shruti Pratyaksham Aitiyam Anumanam Chatushtayam Pramaneshu Anavasthanat Viparyasa, uh, you know, meaning if you don't do the quadrangulation, you might actually, it will, it will lead you to confusion, delusion, mithyadnyan. Right, right. So that is, so to answer your question, that is one reason. The second one is Satya Meva Jayate. I mean, you want to always find the truth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you uh, always want to find the truth. And so Shabda Praman, that is again a misconception many times that has somehow entered and has almost become very uh, stagnant in, in a in Hindu dharma, I would say, right now, the current Hindu dharma. 
which is to say people confuse shabda praman as the proof shabda praman is the ultimate proof that is absolutely wrong you will not find the basis for it in a in a in a darshanas you will not find the basis for it in our philosophy you won't find you will not find the basis shabda praman is also valuable if empirical proof is not available like say punarjanma for example yeah. i mean what are you going to do i mean now we are getting some evidence in a indirect ways otherwise right. even shankaracharya he's he's also saying that atma is a source of hope you cannot find a proof for it but that same adi shankaracharya he says jnanam na purusha tantram kintu vastu tantram the mm-hmm. the the particular object its own nature will tell you what it is not mm-hmm. just somebody's opinion right 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 so fine so i'll i'll now come back to our core topic and uh, we'll get on to the timeline of mahabharat and ramayana and how we uh, look at it how we calculate it so uh, before i jump into the timeline actual timeline and uh, how the process works yeah. uh, what are the mainstream academic thoughts on it on the historicity and the timelines right okay well uh, no great question again again we have to define what the mainstream academic is mm-hmm. uh, so let's say i mean do you have any specific uh, definition for mainstream academic no Other i don't of, I, no. i mean okay. what is popular what is it in right, uh, right. most people are looking at yeah so if you look at mainstream academic in the sense of say western indology okay yeah. so the, the discipline of say last 150 years 200 years something like that mm-hmm. and then if you consider uh, the people in india so it doesn't have to be physically in the west but the folks mm. who essentially follow these western methods yeah okay uh, they are stuck into uh, two domains one is the aryan invasion theory so right. uh, everything that they uh, put the chronology on for indian events is clouded by the the glasses of aryan invasion theory so mm. everything has to happen after 1500 bc Right. and the rugveda has to start there so then things has to go in some chronological fashion because that's how they conceive it mm-hmm. and therefore they will put uh, mahabharata ramayan into somewhere 200 bc to 400 ce right right okay also to them it's not a historical event to them right. it's a kavya it's like yeah. a uh, imaginary story so yeah. so they look at when it was written that is all they mm-hmm. are looking at now what is the evidence that they have zilch yeah zero evidence for any of their things either for aryan invasion or for these mm-hmm. claims on the mahabharata ramayana so that's one academia now let's look at say some of the people uh, who are working in the uh, mahabharata research area they may not be always in academia they may be right. uh, loosely connected with academia one is like archaeology and archaeology they do very lot of hard work but i would say my experience with archaeological inferences is very unpleasant they do a good mm-hmm. job of digging things finding things identifying things dating things but then taking those things and doing the triangulation with what is said in say itihasa or any text and then using the logic tantra yukti tarka shastra and vijnana buddhi i am willing to say that it's a royal disaster it's a royal disaster right. so for example let's say in kurukshetra or mathura or hastinapur they find a pot they dig somewhere and they find some pottery like mm-hmm. a painted greyware pottery or black polished uh, new new black polished pottery they mm-hmm. date it they find some metal objects they may date it and then they suppose they date it and it comes to 1000 bc or 2000 mm-hmm. bc or 3000 bc doesn't matter what it is they just go like a eureka bingo you know i found this in kurukshetra i found this in hastinapur i found it in mathura these places are related to mahabharata so therefore mahabharat happened in 1000 bc 2000 bc there is a huge fallacy there is a yeah. scientific problem with that there is a logical problem with that so that is what the mainstream is if you consider yeah. archaeology as a mainstream now just to quickly summarize uh, taking all these different approaches so therefore the dating of mahabharata kind of ranges from 400 ce this is mm-hmm. professor hopkins of harvard you know about 100 years ago yeah. all the way to 7300 bce one of the great astronomers of india uh, shankar balakrishna dikshit about 125 years ago so that there you go that's your range from 400 so, and that's a very wide range so <laughs> very uh, i would actually want to divide these group now in two when you have mentioned it you are talking yeah. about that there is a western indology academic space where researchers are and people are studying this uh, space with uh, archaeology part of that and then you are talking about independent researcher who are coming out of interest 
Correct. who have read a lot or have understanding of scriptures and they are also coming up. So sure. is there a clear difference between the two group when it comes to the process or the timing or the way they are doing it? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, your question is a great question. I would say the answer is a bit loaded. So, mm-hmm. in fact, I talked yesterday about that somewhere else. Uh, so, think of it, the Western, uh, Western academia would be essentially saying 400 CE to 200, say 400 BC, and they're done. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go before that. Okay. Let's look at the archaeologist. They will go from 800 BC, and I'm talking their actual claims. Okay. So, Professor mm-hmm. B.B. Lal, I mean, the great uh, yeah. archaeologist, right? Yeah. Will go from, say, 800 BC to possibly uh, 2000 BC. Right. Okay. Based on uh, when the Iron Age began, their assumptions of Iron Age. And those assumptions mm-hmm. have already been falsified. But mm-hmm. when they proposed it, that was the logic. Then we have people, uh, the third group, Uh, And I'll tell you what is the similarity of their techniques. The third group, which is the most popular group. So if if this is ever decided by voting, and that's Mm -hmm. what many people propose, and it's it's very illogical and unscientific, is if it's to be decided by voting, then there is a huge group out of 130 plus different claims, like 60 plus 670 or so, stuck in the 3000 BCE plus minus 100 years. This is the huge group. And -hmm. what is the logic? the traditional assumption of the Kali Yuga beginning in 3000 BC or 3102 BC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, and then there are like four or five people where I would fall into like 5000 BC category and then one 7,300. Mm-hmm. So I'll come to that 5,000 in a minute, but this 3000 BC is very important to understand. So they start with the assumption of beginning of Kali Yuga. I have no problems. I don't think you should have a problem with that too. That's a reasonable assumption. Mm-hmm. Because after all, Mahabharata text does talk about uh, it occurring at the interface of Dwapara and Kali right. Yuga. Right. Okay? However, I'll tell you this. I assert, meaning it's backed by evidence, that there is not even a single reference, mm-hmm. single astronomy reference, single archaeology reference, single hydrology reference, single oceanography reference, single climatology reference, single genetic, you just go on. Not even hmm. a single reference in Mahabharata text that will decisively allow anyone to bring the timing to 3000 BC. And you know, they all, the 60, 70 folks are 3000 BC plus minus 100 years. Mm-hmm. I am saying not even a single reference that will allow them to arrive at 3000 BC plus minus 1000 years. Right. Okay, right. no, not even a single. Oh, on that, on that, I'm going to now ask you, what are your dates? Okay, good. So my my date is uh, 5561 BCE. So mm-hmm. for us, so that's like 5561 BCE plus 2020, right? Yeah. 7582 years. For simplicity, yeah. more than 7500 years. But it's not a generic number. It's a very specific year. I mean. If somebody even asked me, like, okay, so Nilesh, are you saying where j- about 5561? I'm saying not about. I mean, it cannot be 5565 BC. Mm-hmm. And it cannot be 5570 BC. The Mahabharata evidence is that accurate, that precise. Right. So what is this process? How we come to hmm. uh, dating? Good. How we Good. get to that? Good question. Let me ask you, and this is not a counter question to trick you. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you happened to have used a vernier caliper before? Have. have you you know yes. what that is yeah. yes yeah. now i don't know if our all our audience members know it but it is something to measure the thickness or a yeah. length or something of some object right to a very yeah. accurate and precise it yeah. has got two scales so first you take those prongs you put the object there take approximate reading on the main scale and then yeah. on the secondary scale you take the which line matches with that do some calculation yeah. you get precise and accurate if when you put the object between the two prongs, if you do it in a wrong fashion, okay, it doesn't matter how accurate and precise you measure on the vernier secondary scale, you're going to get a answer which is very precise, but wrong, because mm-hmm. you did not put this object. So to explain the process, uh, doesn't matter which discipline of science you use, I use astronomy, you have to identify those references, which gives you the approximate area first. Mm-hmm. And this observation that I mentioned, this Arundhati Vasishta observation was like a magic. And that's not the only observation. By the way, there are 60 other observations which help you give you approximate range. But Mm -hmm. 
but this of the beauty of this observation is it's so decisive that right now all the other mahabharata researchers who don't agree with my date they are fighting day and night with arundhati vasishta it is their nightmare and and a day mare if the word can be used okay so what this arundhati vasishta observation did simply is it said because vyasa is saying at the time of mahabharata war arundhati is walking ahead of vasishta Mm-hmm. Uh, the four four out of 130 astronomers or mahabharata researchers looked at it they said it's impossible in the astronomy sense i worked on it for 15 years and finally what, when i demystified what i showed is that arundhati actually does appear uh, to walk ahead of us uh, one intervention i think for the audience you'll have to first give a bit about Ar- arundhati and vashishta sure. very very good my apologies so we are not talking of arundhati and vashishta as a man and a woman well yeah. actually they were long time ago and then the stars in the sky were named after them that is a indian tradition it's not a western tradition to name stars uh, after i mean they would have borrowed it Uh, so those people i mean people have to have some familiarity and thank you for uh, reminding me so those people who would be familiar with saptarshi in the sky in the northern hemisphere northern direction so there it looks like a pan and a handle so a rectangular pan and has a handle yes total of seven stars so pan has got four handle has got three and the middle star of the handle is called vasishta or in the modern astronomy mesa hmm. next to that is a small star that is arundhati or alcor in modern astronomy and right now if we look at it look at through the night uh, it will come it will rise because it's right now sir circum not circumpolar so it actually does go below horizon the whole uh, part of the panhandle so when they are coming up in the northeast and they will go around the north pole in anti clockwise direction we will see vasishta is walking ahead arundhati is behind walking meaning what their position doesn't change with respect to each other but they'll go like this like the arms of a wall clock something right. like this and so vasishta is walking ahead that is the case now that was the case 1000 years ago 2000 3000 4000 5000 6000 plus years ago mm-hmm. vasishta uh, vasa is saying exactly opposite is the scenario at the time of mahabharata war so if we put the evidence if we put the Uh, the triangulation of logic and everything together explanation prediction testing it tells us mahabharata war did not happen in last 6500 years right but right. then the question is when did it happen and arundhati gives you a certain time bracket it says arundhati could be seen walking ahead of vasishta for any individual in the northern hemisphere looking at the sky in the northern direction only between this 5000 year period from 10248 bc to 4636 bc it can be said with that accuracy right so it has to be between those years and right. so so arundhati vasishta doesn't give you 5561 bc it tells you that uh, big bigger scale of the vernier caliper yeah. hey approximately you must look for it here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so uh, and i'm just being devil's advocate now here uh, how do you in in the text which is not uh, expressly saying that this is astronomy and this is hmm. rest of the story you identify that this reference is an astronomical reference and this reference is actual people reference hmm how how you differentiate that in a text okay because because the text actually says in explicit terms that it is an astronomy reference right because i'm asking that question because hmm. uh, a lot of contention on these topics come from the fact that people say that in the text this part is not acceptable as a astronomical reference or this astronomy is acceptable correct and good no no pe- but people are objecting see people don't object to other astronomy references so for example take yeah. the third second adhyay of uh, the bishma parva where this reference comes there are four astronomy references two references above arundhati vasishta reference one reference just after arundhati reference yeah uh, all the mahabharata researchers who claim that they have come to their claim for the year of mahabharata war using astronomy they use remaining three references yeah okay not this so why so, what, so? ah because they couldn't explain it mm-hmm. okay okay now how unscientific how illogical is that no one no one is calling them bluff mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. i mean it is such a disaster the 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 the, the buck stops there yep. it's like a red signal don't go further because in science it's perfectly all right 
to say that I have 30 observations out of that 25 match for my theory, five do not match for my theory. Mm-hmm. That has happened in the case of uh, Ptolemy, that has happened in case of Cop- Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo. That is why somebody else came and tried to improve further. Right. 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 But, right. Uh, but in fact, if you go and maybe in this series, you should get uh, other uh, uh, Mahabharata researchers with the claim and yes, ask them this right. question. Under what circumstances your theory will be falsified? What if someone can come and show that this is not the case, that your theory will be falsified? So to answer your question, no, actually not just in this chapter. The Arundhati Vasishta is described, is discussed in the entire Mahabharata many times. Right. And the, the intention is very clear that their astronomy references, their position in the sky, in the area of, a, a, I mean, Swati Nakshatra, in the area of a Dhruva, close to the Dhruva pole star, is right. all mentioned. And uh, of course, we don't, I don't have a presentation here and that's not the no. intention today. But if you look at even those sub-references, you find how marvelous is the descriptions specifically for a Mahabharata time, 6 millennium right. BC. Okay. okay. Uh, I have a cue from audience and sure. uh, they would also want to hear about the timing of Ramayana. Okay. And this specific cue says because there are some interpolation in text which dates it after Buddha. Mm-hmm. So okay. uh, where, where do you stand on that? So we have okay. Mahabharata, which you're saying that 6,750 BC in that era. And then uh, Ramayan, where do we stand when it comes to Ramayan, both in terms of actual historicity and then the timeline? Okay. So historicity in the sense of, you mean, uh, the, the Ramayan happened, like, that's inter- Yeah. So first thing is that uh, there is huge contention, like Ramayan and Ram has been in the center of a lot of argument and... Uh, yeah. There have been people who are outright rejecting that even the historicity of it at all. And right. then there are people who are strongly asserting that no, it, these are all actual events. Right. So where okay. I yeah. sit on that based on research and academy. Okay. So see, in subjective conviction, so the good point again, argument versus theory. I mean, people yeah. can argue anything, argue right. any any position. And you can make the other person look foolish, appear foolish, you know, uh, make a point, make a name for yourself, instant popularity. You can achieve all of that. Theory is a different animal altogether because theory demands that not only just you just you state a theory and run away, but then, you know, as soon as you state a theory, the evidence has to become empirical. Then you have to test the evidence and you have to put the score on the board. How does your theory do? So uh, the Buddha insertion of Ramayana after, I'll come to that in a minute. But so, so what is my theory for Ramayana? Exactly mm-hmm. same as Mahabharata. Just replace the word Valmiki Ramayana. All astronomy descriptions of Valmiki Ramayana are actual factual visual descriptions of the sky mm-hmm. of Ramayana times. Right. In case of Ramayana, Valmiki Ramayana, which is much uh, smaller than Mahabharata, I found close to 600 astronomy references. Wow. Right now, the two days ago, my good friend, I'll not mention the name, not that that's a secret, but that uh, just to avoid digression. Uh, he mentioned that uh, there are no astronomy references or there is no astronomy reference of a pole star mm-hmm. in the Ramayan. Mm-hmm. Okay. My, I like to say that he must be reading a very different Ramayan than what I'm aware of. Okay. So the point is, I mean, people can argue anything, but right. uh, Nyaya Darshana tells us uh, that argument is not to be taken seriously unless the other party has also a alternate claim. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise it's a vitanda. You, you have, have you heard the word vitandavad? Westful, yeah. westful. Yeah. You know, Nayadarshana says so pratipaksha sthapana hino vitanda. If you are objecting to someone, but you don't have your own specific position, you are wasting everybody's time. Right. right. And it, the person is to be rebuked and removed from the debate if that happens. But back to this. So, yeah. so, so Valmiki Ramayana, I used the same process. I looked at those 600 references and again, like a vernier caliper time, you know, type, there are some references which you give you approximate range. This overlaps. There are four, five, six references. They give you overlapping region starts from like a 10,500 BC to like 17,000 BC. And with other references, it really comes down to uh, uh, 10,000 BC to 14,000 BC. And then right. I use like additional 300 plus references. It brings us to uh, the first thing I found in the case of Ramayana is the year of Ram Ravan Yuddha. Mm-hmm. That is 12,209 BC. So more than 14,000 years ago. Okay. 
Okay, and then uh, using the other Ramayana evidence, the chronological clues like Ram going to the forest for fourteen years and so on, other astronomy evidence, you can decide the dating of Rama as twelve thousand two hundred forty BC. Right, right. So that brings us to a very interesting point where we are putting Mahabharat in the circa six thousand five hundred and uh, uh, Ramayana into twelve thousand two hundred circa in that yeah. ballpark, separating yeah. them with roughly six thousand years between them. Right, seven thousand. Yeah, yeah, seven thousand years between them. Uh, when we talk about uh, this in the terms of how the scriptures put it, uh, one happened in uh, Treta Yuga, other happened in Dwapar Yuga. And yes. if you look at the calculation of Yuga, it should they should typically be separated by a million years based on mm. the years in the sense of the way Yuga is defined and written in chronological sense, right? Correct. So how you reconcile those two things? A million year and seven thousand year. Yeah, yeah. No, great, great question. See the the dogma by definition are so deeply entrenched mm -hmm. that suppose a, a random Indian person, if you wake him or her up from the middle of the night and ask them how long is what is the duration of a Kali Yuga, mm -hmm. you will get the correct answer. I mean the answer is correct in the sense it will match with everyone else, but it is a wrong answer, and I'll explain that. The answer you will get is four hundred and thirty-two thousand years. Would you would you have given the same answer? I think yes. so, right? Four hundred and thirty-two thousand, and then we have that ratio of one is to two is to three is to four, which means the Dwapara is a twice that, which is eight hundred and sixty-four thousand. Yeah. Okay, so that is where your question is originating. Great question. Yeah. So, for a minute, you are saying forget it. I mean, I accept whatever the Ramayana for a Mahabharata for a minute. So five five yeah. six one BC. Hey, be my guest. But yeah. now I am also saying Ramayana twelve thousand two hundred nine. So like only seven thousand years separated, whereas the Dwapar Yuga. Which is which? What separates uh, Ramayana and Mahabharata? Yes. For this definition, is eight hundred and sixty-four thousand years. Right. Let's quickly. I mean, I'm going to make it very short. I have given enough presentations on this yuga. I call it yuga enchilada. We have made a mess out of this beautiful concept of yuga. Mm -hmm. But briefly, there are four types of yuga, and there could be many sub sub classifications. But I call them theoretical, uh, practical, chronological, and philosophical. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the the practical and philosophical are not of a they they have a sense of a time, but they are more of a physiology or psychological in nature. For example, a devotee, like the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said, you know, in his Shikshastaka, that when he feels the separation from Krishna, even for a fraction of a second, it feels like a yuga. That's an right. emotional state. So we'll not go into that. But even the theoretical and chronological definition—that is where this problem comes. That what you are asking, and how do we reconcile that? There is a wonderful explanation to reconcile it. This very idea of Kaliyuga of four hundred and thirty-two thousand, and twice that is a Dwapar eight hundred and sixty-four—is do you know where it comes from? It yeah. comes from the astronomy text. It is a purely astronomy-based mathematical formulations. Mm -hmm. To explain, to track, to communicate precise and accurate orbital periods of planets, okay. it comes in a Surya Siddhanta. It comes in a Aryabhatiya. Mm -hmm. They use the same words like a Kali Yuga, Dwapar, Treta, and so on. But that has absolutely nothing to do with using that unit for chronological purposes to track, to separate uh, historical events. Mm -hmm. But that has exactly what has happened, and therefore, uh, somebody using A unit from a theoretical category of yuga for chronological purposes is what creates this problem. If you understand that distinction, there is no problem. How we separate? So I think you would have to shed some light on that distinction. That how we distinguish between two kind of yuga that you're talking about. Right. Uh, one. Once. Uh, I mean, there are many ways to explain it. But let's say people. When I now that I have decide, I, I have decide for the uh, dating of Ramayana Mahabharata. Mm -hmm. a very novice question i get sir please tell me uh, when was the what was the year of the matsya avatar right okay right. now i'll tell actually, you this is actually yeah, I'll, I'll, i was going to ask you that uh, <laughs> that uh, maheshwar mardini in some way or devi in some way get referenced in both ramayana and mahabharat and in a context right. that it's an event that has happened much before yes. mahabharat and ramayana is happening Yeah. and that would probably put it a million years or 2 million years before both the event of mahabharat and ramayana so yeah. how do you also kind of bring that into the context and say what is the historicity of that now 
correct. So I'll I'll, exp- I'll I'll explain that. I'll come to Mahishasur in a minute. But let's take Matsya Avatar, which has a similar flavor. Just don't want right. to mix too many, you know. Uh, yeah. So, for example, Matsya Kurma Varaha, in that theoretical framework, so in an Indian framework, we have this astronomy long scales of a Mahayuga, 4.32 right. million years, right? Yeah. Which comes out the, uh, you know, what is that? 4, uh, 4,500 million years is the age of the earth, you know, and that right. matches with the Brahma's day and so on and yeah. so forth. Yeah. Okay. Coincidence or real doesn't matter. That's a different subject. Um, but take Matsya Altar. Now, Matsya Kurma Varahandu Simha, if we take this as a uh, evolutionary time frame, it is it falls from the theoretical framework, not the chronological framework. So when it comes to, by the time it comes to Rama and Krishna, yeah, we can talk about the historical events. But when we go back, at some point, we, have, we, we don't know, we are clueless. And that is when we still need a framework to understand. You will find that in the Puranas all over, even the Ramayana Mahavarata, how the whole world began. It began with the wish of the like a Nasadiya Sukta from Rugveda. Right. What does Nasadiya Sukta say? Nobody knows. Yeah. But if yeah. if that answer is not satisfactory, then they say the, that Parama Adhyaksha, the Parabrahma created it. You know, some yeah. some Siddhanta yeah. like that. So it is even a wrong to ask the question in which year Matsyautar came into being, mm-hmm. because it's it's a for example, it's like asking the question that you know in a evolution the uh, the animal evolution the living entity evolution on the earth okay what was that year when the protein turned into a unicellular organism right like we say well it happened 400 and uh, 4000 uh, mil- million years ago that's all we can say mm-hmm. we cannot give a date it's the same problem so from that something that was meant for um, astronomy purposes totally different purpose Okay, for finding the time, but we are using it for chronology. That that is the problem. Whereas mm-hmm. whereas a Treta Yuga and Dwapar Yuga, Kali Yuga can be understood in many different ways. I'll tell you, we are talking of Mahabharata, right? Or Ramayana itself. I'll quickly give you the, the, their own definitions. Mahabharata has five different definitions of a Yuga. Mm-hmm. Ramayana also has a definition of Yuga. Do you know what Ramayana says? When what? there is a Dharma, a Dharma gets over. Adharma triumphs over Dharma, it is a Kali Yuga. When Dharma triumphs over Adharma, it is a Satya Yuga. Mm-hmm. Now, w- w- does this have a time? Like, is there a time calendar schedule? Like, when the Adharma is going to triumph over Dharma? No. Right, right. Mahavarata gives a good answer. It says Raja Kalasya Karanam. It says multiple times. It is the administrator, it is the Raja, and how he administers that may decide a Yuga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mahavarata gives example. It says when Bhishmacharya was ruling when these uh, Dhritarashtra and Pandu were very young. He was ruling so beautifully that by his rule, he brought Kali Yuga, sorry, he brought Satya Yuga. That is yeah. the statement of Mahavarata. Mm-hmm. Or Parshurama brought Satya Yuga. Or Ramayana says Ram, Rama with Rama Raja brought Satya Yuga. Now they brought Satya Yuga in what? Dwapar Yuga and Kali Yuga. And so it is a different, the, the Treta Yuga of Ramayana and Dwapar Yuga of a Mahabharat is used in a different sense. It is not used in the sense of the astronomy mathematical formulation. Sorry, that was a long discussion. No, but... that was that was wonderful. That was wonderful. Uh, if anyone has uh, any question, please start typing them in now. So we'll ask those to Nilesh before we close in. Uh, what I would move to Nilesh from here is that uh, what is the importance of this work itself of identifying the historicity uh-huh. of the timeline? of uh, these great epics in context of the in culture in civilization now and going ahead okay uh, yeah no great question i mean the, the answers can be long i'll try to be brief so for example uh, the colonialist tendencies when they were working with india i mean you would have heard these quotes he says mm-hmm. if you want to make a certain uh, certain race certain people a certain country a slave country all you have to do is destroy their history, destroy their true sense of history. Right. In that, and that is exactly what has happened. They, the British were very successful. I mean, credit to them, very effectively through the Macaulayan system and many other uh, very soft uh, power, you can say, you know, yeah. like taking the, even as simple as astronomy, taking the prime meridian from yeah. Ujjain and taking it to Greenwich, you know, London. I mean, where you are right now, they, 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 they could just change the whole game, right? Who is in control, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So we have to fix that. We have to fix not to put anyone down. We have to fix in the sense of Satyameva Jayate, to know the truth. 
for simple things, but even for the grand narrative of India uh, in that sense, and not in a very jingoistic fashion. Uh, for example, uh, you know, if whatever the truth is, whatever the, wherever the evidence takes us, and a new evidence comes up, and that forces us to change change what we believe, then we should change it. So that's one. Yeah, go ahead. No, but, but, uh, but the bigger, bigger benefit of this, so for example, it has many, many aspects. I'll take a positive and negative. So this whole Aryan invasion nonsense, I, I don't call it theory. It's a dogma, okay? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't qualify any of the five tests of scientific method or scientific theory. If you just take the Ramayana dating or Mahabharata dating, 5561 BC, what is the Aryan invasion argument? that so-called Aryan came from somewhere outside India to inside India sometime after 2000 BC. And with them, they brought Sanskrit, which was used or precursor to Sanskrit, which was used to write Rugveda and then Mahabharata and Ramayana. What nonsense? I mean, the evidence inside from Ramayana and Mahabharata decisively that can uh, stand against any test from any person around the world, any scientific minded person or logical minded person shows that a Sanskrit-based civilization existed in India long before this nonsense, the claim of Aryan invasion. So just right. the dating of Mahabharata, poof, that destroys the Aryan invasion. So in a negative sense, it helps. In a positive sense, we start appreciating the science, culture, technology, civilizations of India in the mm -hmm. right perspective. Say, right. for example, if I would have said today, I mean, hey, I would like to come and meet you next week in London. Or, uh, or Wednesday, you would not be surprised. You know that I can take a six, seven hour flight and be there. Yeah. But what yeah. if I would have said this 400 years ago that I want to come and see you mid next week from Atlanta and meet you in London, you would have laughed at me. Yeah. I'm saying the timing gives the context of the available science, available technology, or even yeah. appreciation of technology. I'll give you one quick example. Uh, Sushruta Samvita and Sushruta talks about the rhinoplasty, which went from India to uh, Europe and then it became big famous and all that. What if I can show you, which I have done, by the way, with the work like this, that Sushruta is definitely more than 8,000 years old. Mm -hmm. Okay, the, the Wikipedia says 600 BC. Recently, Columbia University said, uh, oh yeah, we agree that uh, Sushruta was a 600 BC, uh, mm -hmm. Sushruta's timing. And everyone in India, not everyone, most of the people in India very, was were very gaga. Oh, Colombia is now accepting. What nonsense. I mean, Columbia and technology and medicine in ancient India. We start seeing in the right perspective. And that right. is the benefit of the chronology aspect. Right. So now, now I have a few comments and questions. I'll start taking sure. them before we close. Uh, so I have from Jashmin Sa. Regarding timing of yoga, Swami Sri Yukteswar Giri in the introduction to his book, The Holy Science, explains the mess about the timing of yoga very logically. Hmm. I mentioned the great sage Sri Yukteswar only due to his stellar standing among the gurus of modern India. Wondering if Sri Neelkant Oak is aware of his explanation and what you make of it. In case you haven't come across, we humbly request to look at that. So, okay. we yeah. have a take on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a very, very well aware of the work of uh, Sri Yukteswar Giri. I mean, the Kriya Yoga tradition. I know uh, many of the disciples uh, in that tradition. And I have personally met them. I mean, I'm on like a WhatsApp or email kind of communication with them. I have discussed this subject with them also. Uh, quickly, I'll tell you the good aspect of it. Uh, mm -hmm. this Yukteswar thing. The model, actually, the sequence of it I like, which is to say it's a sinusoidal type of thing. Meaning, say, the, uh, what is that? Kali, Dwapar, uh, what is that? The Treta and Satya, then Satya Yuga again, and then it goes down like a sinusoidal curve. I like right. that. In the sense, uh, suddenly the things don't go from extremely bad to extremely good. And so that model may have some benefit. Other than that, uh, based on like the chronology of Mahabharata or Ramayana that I have figured out, based on the internal evidence, uh, mm -hmm. the Yukteswarji's model does not fit at all. So okay. if somebody insists on it, it is their job to fit it or to okay. show, forget that model for a minute, show why my dating is wrong. Okay. Right. That is, that is what they need to do. And right. what was it that, what do I make of it? So it's a beautiful book. Uh, there is one book, the lost star. And I don't know if Jasmine G knows about it. The lost star based on the Yukteswar's theory. It has a lot of merit. I have that book. Um, Walter is his first name, the author. 
and i would encourage people to read it but uh, uh, that is a shabda praman as far as the mahabharata ramayana goes it should not be confused because it doesn't match right right uh, i i have from naresh joshi fascinating listening to you once again shri nilesh ji uh, thank you for your explanation on yuga dogma with having a conversation with others about putting yuga dogma in your back pocket how would you suggest we go about it because this seems like an inertia even einstein would struggle to explain <laughs> well that that is true and i would say uh, naresh ji and of course neil you too see that is where uh, many other strategic minds have to come in so for example they have to be they have to study my work in the case mm-hmm. of yuga here be convinced of it if they are not convinced they can critique it they can come up with a better model i'm i'm open to all of that but once uh, once they suppose they are convinced of my work then i think they need to put these uh, creative heads to figure it out how to take it to the masses right and definitely they cannot leave it to me i mean that's just one person cannot do that yeah yeah a uh, couple majumdar says uh, they say mahabharat is like a lesson in business or commercial life ramayan hmm. in domestic or personal life so what is the main lesson or lesson for us to learn from both epics to take home and enrich our today very good question quickly uh, and i can talk about other text too but just i'll limit to epics ramayana ramayana has everything mahabharata has everything there is a verse in mahabharata but what is it that is not there in mahabharata which is to say almost anything that you want to talk about is in mahabharata broadly speaking ramayana is a niti vichar the absolute morals okay to understand absolute morals ramayana is a beautiful text mahabharata has everything but if you go and look at it time and again you will find mahabharata is a karma yoga vichar the emphasis is on doing the duty endurance in conduct or right. uh, what you, uh, what you call um uh, achar sahishnuta like never giving up so those are the two broad messages that come from these uh, texts all right uh from prabhakar kumar we have uh, a question mbh mahabharat talks of pandavas interacting with kubera and other deities on the earth might it be possible that lokas were also on earth hmm. same question for vijay yatra of ravan to look different lokas including patal and vali hmm. are they different places on earth if hmm. yes then why arjuna seems to ride down from the sky to meet pandavas on the gandhamadan parvat okay a gr- great question uh, i am going i mean it can be a very long answer i will, I will give a short answer yeah. uh, just my conviction and based on not just a subjective conviction but based on the research that i have done the geography of a mahabharata times geography of a ramayana times and what not these are all events happening on the earth right okay there can be a component where somebody in a meditation can go to another planet that's possible but uh, professor ck raju has shown that that is at least scientifically speaking Mm-hmm. that is possible for a mind that is possible for the higher uh, subtle powers that is not possible for the body okay right. to go to other planets kind of thing in a short time and and uh, what was the question there uh, okay so why does it show like some ride coming from the top remember yeah. what is itihasa dharmartha kama mokshanam upadesham samanvitam purvavruttam kathayuktam itihasam prachakshate so it is a factual historical events but just so that we remember like uh, so that they are told to us in a katha form and it is told to us as a arshak kavya as a poetry so some embellishments will come that makes us remember like so prabhakar ji remembered that mm-hmm. arjuna coming from the top that is yeah. because of that uh, adbhut adbhut yeah. that is attached to it so it helps right. us remember uh, every time it should not be taken literally many times it has to be understood metaphorically or figuratively mm-hmm. uh we have from sanjay bapat is uh, how can these dates of ramayan and mahabharat be then used to find the physical evidence which corroborates with these two conclusively put this question to the bed yeah uh, i'll yeah. add to that i'll add yeah, to please. that can right. these questions ever be put to the bed is that even a possibility or should hmm. be we i mean shouldn't discovery yeah. be ongoing process yeah well the, great, both are a great question so let me answer that first and if i forget yeah. neil you would remind me yeah so how can these dates of ramayana mahabharat be used to find physical evidence this is not even a, a future possibility mm-hmm. so i started my journey with astronomy evidence both in case of ramayana mahabharat yeah but so that's 2011 2014 so since then so 10 years or 6 years i have shown with enormous empirical evidence from yeah. dozen plus different disciplines of science 
and these are like all physical evidences so what am i talking geology geophysics geochemistry mm-hmm. morphodynamics of rivers so hydrology evidence oceanography climatology geology i mean that's geography geography linguistics yeah. you know uh, paleontology physical anthropology genetics i mean i can go on and on from all of that if the evidence exists meaning if the evidence somebody has found it and the evidence exists all the evidence to this day supports or scientific language corroborates the 12290 bc for ramayana 5561 bc for mahabharata so it's not a uh, just a future possibility it is a reality and right. your what was your question neil i'm saying that uh, can uh, these questions ever be put to bed and uh, should they be put to bed correct uh, i would say uh, we don't need to write a final line you know on the mm-hmm. in the stone say hey no we are never ever going to argue about this debt ever no we don't need to do that however just like what happens in science science the modern science provides us a good uh, example how to how to behave when it comes to our history yeah for example right now uh, there is no confusion in anyone's mind that between einstein's theory and newton's theory which one is better between yeah. newton's theory and kepler's theory which one is better and between kepler's and copernicus and copernicus and ptolemy so at any given time by luck and in this case that is possible we can always talk about the best best approximation to the truth the best claim among all that is available and mm-hmm. i am asserting that that is 12209 bc and 5561 bc but i am not holding gun to anyone said i said come critique it a debate with me argue against it come up with an alternate claim but if you don't want to do any of this then i don't have a time for you go take a hike <laughs> <laughs> uh i have one last question from sham kumar das who just wants your comments on vimanas what my comments on vimanas no i can give the quick comments on vimanas vimanas yeah. as a describe even as a, a air uh, i mean f- uh, flying vehicles uh, it is described in ramayana like pushpak viman yeah many people don't know but actually mahabharata also describes uh, vimana just mm-hmm. not in the context of mahabharata war okay so yes their descriptions are there now what to make of it i don't know i don't know only in this sense i know exactly what to make of them but if somebody asks me to in a scientific fashion to prove their existence i will not able to do it i don't have the evidence however just for a minute let's look at quickly ramayana if you uh, and i would encourage people to read valmiki ramayana right from the balakanda all the way to the uttarakanda everywhere the description of pushpak viman comes and all of us have flown on a plane in our yeah. times especially yeah. those who are frequent flyers they have seen the turbulence and every single thing um, if you accumulate and i have done that if you put together and list all the descriptions of pushpak viman the description that's all we have we yeah. don't have a engine we don't have a map or nothing we don't know what fuel they used you know right but if you look at the descriptions you'll be amazed how those descriptions are very close right on the money with our air travel right so i'll just leave it at that that's all we can talk about so uh, before closing i have one last question to ask you that in this academic space uh, for a very long time uh, we followed for scriptures even for the ancient indian archaeology everything was initiated during british period hmm. that was the academic line that we have followed for a very long time yeah are we seeing a shift from that and are we seeing more interest from uh, people within india trying to discover the truth about it or trying to follow a if i could use the word that putting an indian lens on it and then from that perspective trying to discover do we okay. see uh, that rising and that coming up more okay so well i, I mean i am doing it for last 25 30 years yeah. uh, there are many uh, now new partners in crime who are working mm-hmm. with me so that's definitely there in terms of people following it and i don't mean just the following in a, a ordinary man but people from academia people from business community it's absolutely happening now uh, are there uh, people still uh, stuck in the old paradigms like archaeology is the only way and stuff yeah. like that of, of course they are uh, but that is their problem i don't make it my problem right right they have to uh, they have to come out of it and the only way they are going to come out of is a bootstrapping which is what krishna says in bhagavad gita uddare natmana manam natmanam avasadayet only you can bring yourself out of you know you can be your best enemy you can be your uh, you know uh, what you call a best friend worst enemy right 
So, uh, thanks, Nilesh. On that uh, point, we will close this. We are close to one hour now. And sure. thanks a lot for joining us and uh, having this very interesting and insightful conversation. Uh, thank you, everyone, who joined this call live and stayed through the end for great questions and contributions that all of you made. And uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for joining in. Thanks, Nilesh. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, Neil. Bye.